Welcome to the Six Demon Bag Extras Edition, where we reheat our leftovers for your auditory delectation. Hey guys, this is Ed. I write various fictions, horror, science fiction. I'm Jeff. I write science fiction and horror. I'm Drew. I'm a gamer and anime fan. Hi, my name's Ryan. Hi, I'm Greg. And this is Ryan. False memories? Ryan's neighbor with a shotgun in parentheses? <laughs> Maybe we'll skip that one. Because I kind of have one because I've been going back and forth as to whether it's a real memory. Go ahead. What yeah. is it? Go so, for it. again, this job that I work, this job that I talked about with the rats and the poop on the, in the urinal. outside the door. Oh, outside the door. And the spider <laughs> that caught the fly. Um, we had off-site parking and there's a little shuttle that would run back and forth between the office and the parking. So... The location, there was, there's a McDonald's and a coffee bean. And that, they are one large building that composes two restaurants. Mm -hmm. It used to be a Bob's Big Boy. And in the early 80s, somebody robbed the joint and murdered a bunch of the employees at the Bob's Big Boy. So it's always been believed that the McDonald's and the coffee bean are haunted. And there have been like weird things that have happened, weird bumps and like, flashes of things and like you feel like somebody's there but there's nobody there and so of course I latch on to that and I'm telling people man the coffee bean is haunted and you know, there's ghosts in there and you go around McDonald's man be careful because it's haunted and people also reported having strange experiences in the parking lot mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if this really happened to me or if it's something that I made up to tell somebody but I was in the parking lot and I feel like somebody came up behind me. And I thought it was one of my coworkers. And I turned around to be like, ha-ha, you're not going to scare me. And there was nobody there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that really happened. Because I'd also made up a ghost story about my office. <laughs> <laughs> I made up a ghost story that a guy in my office who had been in this, when it was another company, had killed himself in the back room. <laughs> and if you go back there, you sometimes you'll see him. But that was just something that I made up. But I don't remember if this thing with the person standing behind me in the parking lot. You felt somebody touch you? or you Felt just... somebody. You know how you can feel somebody come up behind yeah, you and yeah. you turn around? But I don't know if it really happened uh -huh. or if it's something that I made up or something that I falsely remember. But I'm willing to admit that it might not be a real memory. So you can't tell if something that didn't happen really happened? <laughs> right. But like, there was nobody memory. behind you, so nothing happened. Yeah, it's something, <laughs> I can't tell if nothing happened or if nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's my uh, false memory. On a scale of 1 to 10, if you're a ghost and you wind up haunting a McDonald's slash coffee bean... <laughs> slash parking lot. Slash parking lot. What is that rate? A I very, know, man. I mean, I spent a lot of time at McDonald's, and coffee bean has really good so you probably if you're gonna haunt some place it would be coffee bean Fat slash McDonald's. Be, I, I, I'd <laughs> it's better than a boss big boy. No. I had a dream the other night, and this doesn't 
really fit the topic, but I'm just going to tell you about this dream. There was like a, like a village, and all the people in the village were terrified of this like haunting spirit. And in and then there was like a, um, you know, like in an old west town, how there's like a a row of buildings and they all have the kind of walkway with like the overhang. So there was like a walkway with an overhang, right? And then in the center, there was this huge, tall, unclimbable um, stack of like wardrobes or cabinets that were just humongous. And, and like, so I was going to be a sacrifice to this, like every year there was a sacrifice to the spirit that was haunting this village. And somehow I got up on top of the ward, the, the, like the, the, the building of wardrobes and up there, there was the, 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 the woman whose spirit was haunting the village. Her head had been severed from the, from the mouth up. So the top of her head was on top of the wardrobes, yeah. and that and I don't remember why it happened, but that's why she was haunting the village. And so she, her like spirit was chasing me around the wardrobes, and like her head was there in the middle. And uh, I I don't know what that means. It was pretty crazy and fucked up though. Awesome. It stuck with me. No, I got these scars. <laughs> <laughs> My head was chopped off. Yeah, and I might have yeah one or two. <laughs> Undiagnosable issues. <laughs> There's like a uh, an old saw, which is that no one wants to hear about other people's dreams because the meaning of dreams is always personal. So it seems like a bunch of random disconnected um, events. But I love hearing about people's dreams. Mm. I find it so fascinating because I find dreaming so freaky. Yeah, that mm. is a, it's a weird concept. It it's really like, is. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Has <laughs> anyone ever really had those dreams where you're like kind of having a nightmare and then when you wake up you're afraid to move because you feel that whatever it was that was stalking you in your dream has followed you into the real world. Well, absolutely. It always takes a little time for you to come down off that nightmare. I've thrown things across the room at, at <laughs> figures who I would like, get out of my room, buddy. No, and no, like, those were actual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were there. Lucky shot. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, and then I'm like, what's going on here? And then like, I turn on the lights and I'm like, oh yeah, that's just a chair. What's, uh, what's going on here? What sucks is when they catch it and throw it back at you. That <laughs> <laughs> sucks. So, ostensibly, when we started, we, we wanted to talk a lot more about writing than we do. Does anybody have any other kind of like tricks that they do to kind of get past a writer's block or anything i mean writer's block is like people argue it doesn't exist but you know i've gotten jammed up a lot on stories so well before we started recording i I was talking about this story and i did hit a writer's block um and it was just it was not the fault of inadequate outlining it was more that i had outlined this as a series and so I was looking very big picture, and I didn't have a clean ending or transition from mm-hmm. book one to book two. And so I had everything wrapped up pretty neatly to bring all my characters to a very, very emotional um, and dangerous low point. But I wasn't sure how to necessarily progress out of that. Should I split the group, or should I have them be stronger than ever at the end of this group? And I realized that I was spending so much time with my main characters uh, and my my protagonist that I hadn't really developed my antagonist enough. I knew who he was and 
where he was, but I hadn't really fleshed him out as a character. And I knew that by going back and really boosting my antagonists, I could make this sort of low point battle, this sort of act three battle, Mm -hmm. create the um, dramatic fuel to propel my characters to a, a more satisfying ending that kind of mirrored my intro. I, there's some writing book, possibly story by Robert McKee, but somebody, a really succinct way they put it was that, you know, if it's a three-act structure, that act two is not just the bad guy wins, but from the bad guy's point of view. So that always helped me because it's so direct and simple. Think, if the bad guy was a hero and everything went right for him, do you're writing like his happy ending, so to speak. <laughs> like that always really crystallized it for hmm. me. And they say, love your villains also. Because I know... When I was a kid, when I watched like these Transformers and G.I. Joe shows uh, where the good guys always win in the end, I would always be rooting for the bad guys. Always <laughs> they're more want them fun. To win. Yeah, I mean, A, because they're more fun, but I think, I think I just wanted, I didn't know these writing terms, obviously, when I was like nine years old, but I wanted the stakes. You know, if you don't, if you don't, if you feel like it's safe, the hero is never in that much yeah, danger. Yeah, the bad guys don't you, win once You don't once care, more. you're not committed. So, mm. so I think what I was really wanting was those stakes like you know most you know movies like you know the genre you know if tom cruise is in it he's probably going to triumph in the end but still you go on that journey and you feel something if it's well done uh the last script that i finished that i was actually happy with was like my villains are basically my heroes because i just like anytime i would write the villains i was just having a blast and like writing them to the nines, and then I would get to my heroes and they'd be so vanilla and boring. <laughs> and uh, it was just like something I needed to do to get back to the villains. It was all comedy, so they weren't actually like villain villains, but it's kind of amazing how much color you can give to those kind of characters. And I wonder if there's a, an easy way to give that same kind of color and flavor to your heroes while still keeping them like heroes. Because a villain can do anything Whereas a hero has to adhere to like certain very strict rules. I heard some good advice recently on uh, a podcast that I'm a big fan of called the Writing Excuses Podcast, which is a panel of four writers. Um, and they were covering the topic of uh, villains, antagonists, and obstacles. And they were saying, go for it with your villains. Like, invest 100%. Make your villains as good awesome as you can and as devious as you can and as powerful as you can but then comes the hard part which is you have to make your heroes work harder mm-hmm. make them equal they to have the to task. rise to that challenge make them rise to the challenge don't just have them be these milk toasty guys bound by a code who are just who triumph you know, in the end because they are the heroes of your story exactly you got to make them even better than your awesome, fun villain's machinations. That's something I noticed in a lot of movies and media, and I've mixed very mixed feelings about the term anti-hero, but that when people have a main character protagonist that is flawed and isn't a great person, that rather than make them better, they'll make the bad guys worse. So you feel that... Um, yeah, like in, if you watch a well-done mafia movie like The Godfather, obviously most people don't feel it's a good thing to be in the mafia, but you get, you know... He came to the country as an immigrant. There was prejudice against immigrants. He wanted his son to do better than him, blah, blah, blah. So if you have if you have the motivation that 
okay, this person isn't perfect, but I'm on his side because he's in this tough situation and maybe that's what I would do. Or he's facing people that are so evil or powerful that he has no choice. I think mafia movies in particular, good ones do a good job of that, of putting you kind of on their side. I, you know, spoilers for Breaking Bad, um, but I thought it was kind of funny where very late in the game they brought in these white supremacist um, criminals, like these militia men. And it was like, well, okay, sure. You're going to root against the white supremacist militia men. So I guess <laughs> they had to get some, somebody worse than well, our main character. Exactly. <laughs> that show is one of the reasons I have mixed feelings about the whole anti-hero thing, because I, I, I've never actually finished that series, but I, I was under the strong impression people kept saying that he had to start selling meth because he didn't have health insurance. And that's not the case. Like that sounds good. That that actually sounds like you know, given the state no, of he just kind insurance of in this company, like that in this country, blah, that that would be you know a, a shitty thing you're forced to do because otherwise you might die. But that's not it. So I, um, I, yeah. his his son was disabled, and he realized that without a significant amount of money in the bank, that his family would suffer. Yeah. In the wake of his cancer treatment. No um, pun intended. They did kind of use that as a crutch. Like ever so often, you'd like he would do these despicable things, and then at least like four times a season, he would go, "I did it for my family," and then you're like, "Oh right." <laughs> and then towards the end, he admitted that it, it wasn't. He did it for himself. Yeah, it was to more like a, did he? It was a like catalyst, even, and then he got addicted to the. Yeah, but I feel like even in the built. last season or the second to last season, he was still towing, toting that like. No, I it, feel like I swear to God, I heard him say, "I did it for my family." I think he might have said that when his wife confronted him, but Maybe. he was lying to her well, and himself. I, I saw all these arguments online. I was just kind of like the, in the cartoon, the "bing no sale" sign kind of went up for me. <laughs> stuff because I was like, I don't, you know, like I mentioned the Godfather, like it's. I don't need them to be perfect. I don't need to say they're morally good. I want to say this is a, I believe in this person and I understand why they're doing what they did. I'm interested in watching it. And sometimes these anti-hero things to me feel like the writers want to make something cool and badass. And, Oh, wouldn't it be badass if the guy was a drug dealer and he flies a helicopter into a Mount Rushmore? Hell yeah. You you know, (laughs) and and then they kind of retcon it. Then they come up with a reason why he had to, or we get endless internet arguments about, well, no, actually, you're not supposed to root for him or identify with him. Well, yeah, yeah, you are. That's why he's the person. Well, he's the hero, yeah. Yeah. I mean, or, again, it's not... I think it's like a false dichotomy. It's not... A protagonist doesn't mean necessarily a hero or a morally impeccable person. It means the point of view of the story and the person you identify with and relate to the story through that person. I think we were supposed to identify with Jesse, but he, he kind of sucked too. No, at the end of Breaking Bad, he literally comes clean and says, I wasn't doing it for the family. Mm-hmm. I fully confess that I was doing it to satisfy my own ego. Well, I definitely defer to your memory on, on these matters. <laughs> because they'd set it up where every time he said, I'm doing it for my family, and the wife said, don't you dare say you did it for the family. And he mm-hmm. says, I, I wasn't. I was doing it for myself. So, it, yes, that was a crutch he leaned upon, and then eventually he self-actualized. And his thing was that he got Jesse out of the clutches of these horrible white supremacist militiamen. But it 
is kind of crazy that they had to go to the to literally scrape the bottom of the barrel of like stock villains to get to somebody less get anyone despicable who, to oppose them would be slightly redeeming. Um, still, Breaking Bad was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> no, no complaints. I still feel filthy thinking about it. Oh, so filthy. I thought the first couple of seasons of the Weeds were really good, and someone got really offended when I compared those two shows. But I felt that before it became really over the top cartoonish in about third season, maybe whenever she had the Armenian gangsters murdering people. But I felt like I I got why she was doing what she was doing in that show, and I bought her as a person, not as oh she's a hero or she's an anti-hero, but as she's a person doing what she's got to do. It's actually an important distinction. They should be people. First and foremost, and not caricatures or... Archetypes. Yeah. So I had an observation today watching the new... It was a thought, actually. I was watching the new Lost in Space on Netflix, which isn't bad, but I was thinking about the old net, the old show and everything, and how on this podcast we've talked about the Urkelverse and how... Uh, was Urkel in Lost in Space? The at earliest, any point? well, the earliest iteration of Urkel we said was uh, uh, what Dynamite, Jimmy Walker on Good Times, but now I think it was Doctor Smith on Lost in Space, because in the first Lost in Space pilot, first couple episodes, first two episodes are in black and white and everything. Um, Doctor Smith is actually kind of a very dark character. He he sneaks onto the Jupiter to. Uh, he's like a member of a foreign power. They don't. He's an agent for a foreign power. They don't really say who. Assume the Russians or something. And he programs the robot to sabotage the Jupiter mission. And he gets the. He's the one that gets them lost in space and everything. Um, and he's kind of like not the fey, like who oh, the pain goofy kind of character he is later and everything. I never watched. You never watched Lost in Space. All right. But I, he, I know what you're talking about. He starts becoming uh, this kind of fey comedy character, and it becomes like a trio of... Uh, it, it, originally, the story is the is the father, is the main character. The father the, leads the mission, and the mother, and it's the dynamic between the family. It's almost exactly like Family Matters. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dr. Smith and his like antics kind of take over the show, and it becomes Dr. Smith, the robot, and the youngest kid kind of goofing around all the time. So I think uh, yeah. I have well, the final season delved of back to Family Matters was going to be them going into space. Urkel was going to blast them into space, uh-huh. you know, because he was always creating all kinds of wacky gadgets a, and shit. Yeah, he was a genius. So and then they were the, the fucking Winslows were going to get lost in space, but then it got canceled before. And I totally just made it. <laughs> was it? I, don't, I believe it because that show was ridiculous. <laughs> by the last kidding, season. Unless it really happened, in which case. I thought he did go to space at one point. Maybe I'm thinking of that kid. He probably did. He probably did. Better off dead or something. And uh, I'm sure you could trace Urkels all the way back to the, the beginning of television. I'm sure Mel Brooks created at least three Urkels in his day. Mel Brooks? And God bless you for bringing Urkel back into it. Yeah, sure. If you look back at the original text of Beowulf. Uh, there's a, a character named Urkel Wolf <laughs> that has been cut out, but uh, yeah, he totally ruined the this the saga for me. Hey, and yeah. Dr. Smith's first name, Urkel, I think, yeah. No, Steve it was Zachary, Smith. actually. If it was Steve, that would have been something. It would have been, I was just thinking it was Steve, but that was just, that was just my mind making connections that weren't there. But he was an Urkel first class. Yeah. Yeah. So, still pretty close. Yeah. Great grandfather Steve Urkel. Okay, with that out of the way, mm-hmm. 
Find us at sixdemonbagpodcast.com, sixdemonbagpodcast at Gmail, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at sixdemonpodcast. Special thanks to Colleen Green for the use of her song, Why Do You Call Me, off the Green One album. This is Ed. If you want to find more about me, uh, you can look at my blog, emertelec.wordpress.com, Delirium Tremens, or uh, Facebook. I'm there all the time. This is Jeff. You can find more at Carter Wrote It on Facebook and Twitter. This is Drew. You can find me on Twitter at GenFactor. You can find me, Ryan, on YouTube at 20th Century RG with the number 20. (laughs) 